All right, this is episode four of First and Moose. It is our first so on so called reactionary podcast. We are close to finishing week one of, of football, Mark. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, it was, it was everything I kind of hoped it would be, if we're going to be honest. There was excitement. There were games that went about how I would have thought, and there are other games that completely took me off guard. And it was exciting football. There were some great games, some other games. The level of play was not upsetting, mm-hmm. and that was good. And I'm sure that, you know, it, it was clunky, yeah, but I'm sure the play will improve. But it wasn't at a level where I thought that, oh, dear, we need preseason games. And I'm sure some teams that got results this week, by the end of the year, will think, how on earth did they beat that team? It'll just be a matter of figuring out which ones were the real deal and which ones were COVID-19 week one upsets, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the, the play overall was good. I know I mentioned on our live show, before the games that I missed preseason. But after seeing today, I, I, you know, I've never thought preseason is something a pro- professional athlete per se needs. And I, I think yesterday and probably tonight will show even more that they can still play at a high level without four preseason games. Yeah. I mean, I think that some teams could definitely use a preseason mm-hmm. game or two. Uh, I definitely would like my team and I think every other team would agree that they'd like to have one in there, especially for some of those deeper roster guys to get their chance to play for a spot. But it's not to the point where it was debilitating it. You know, everyone, everyone's on the level playing field anyway, everyone was playing their first game. So it's not like anybody was at a distinct super disadvantage. Obviously some teams are more comfortable than others, just given their familiarity of the roster and of their coaching staff and all that. But in the end, that's going to be the case either way. Yeah, and I, and I thought maybe this would – maybe we'll see a change where we go down to two preseason games along those lines because four seems like more than there probably needs to be because, I mean, the starters a lot of times seem like now they're playing not even like – they'll play a quarter for like the fourth game or something. It's like Yeah, oh, they don't play a ton anyway. Yeah, because I feel like – at least when I was younger, I always felt like they at least played more than a quarter. I feel like they played mm-hmm. one or two of the games, like a full. But now it's even it's even less. So I could see them going down a little bit. But I, I think there is an argument for still some preseason, preseason games. An argument for preseason games, Mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, me? Yeah, the, the Colts. Oh, do, oh do you wish you had a preseason game? Do they wish they had a preseason game? Uh, yeah, I mean, if that's the first game we're going to start with, I, I do wish we were able to have one in at least. Um, there were points in the game, and it was actually weird because early in the game we looked really good. Our, our offense was clicking. Uh, Marlon Mack looked great. Phillip Rivers was hitting passes. He was throwing darts out there. And then the second half came around. Marlon Mack was out and has now torn his Achilles. He's Mm -hmm. off for the year, which is unfortunate. Um, And the offense really slowed down. Uh, They kind of strayed away from their game plan, and I think part of that was because they were relying a lot on Marlon Mack to be the the centerpiece of the game plan, and it worked. And then suddenly you don't have him anymore, and you're trying to shake things up, and Jacksonville caught on and was able to slow it down a little bit. Then Phillip Rivers starts forcing passes, and we all know what happened after that two interceptions just not good and then I mean 
a preseason game would have been nice. I think that would have really changed how this game would have looked, even if they only played a quarter or two just to get them up against another team. Uh, if we really want to go into the game as a whole and not just think about it preseason-wise, the Colts' pass rush was just not there. There was no penetration in the trenches. And the Jaguars, because of that, had some uh, – Gardner Minshew had time in the pocket, and that resulted in a secondary that was kind of the concern for this team to get ousted very easily. The coverage in that game by the Colts was absolutely terrible. You, you saw the two touchdowns, and if you watched any of the other highlights – then you saw that receivers were wide open. Minshew threw 19 of 20, and it wasn't because he was throwing pinpoint accurate throws. He had It was an easy day for Gardner. Credit to him for getting the job done and winning the game, but it was not the tallest order for him out there yesterday. Yeah, I, I had the Packers and Vikings game on, and then I had red zone on, on my TV, and I was yeah. just – Every once in a while, I kept on seeing that I was close. I was like, what is what is going on right now? I don't yeah. understand it. But, I mean, I guess a question for you, I, I know you paid attention to it closely. What do you – does the loss of Marlon Mack, does that scare you a lot at all? Or do you think Hines and Taylor – did you see anything from them that could possibly fill well, in this role? Well, I think the – well – I think we're very glad we drafted Jonathan Taylor now. Yeah. Uh, that's That was a huge get because at the time, some people were thinking, why did you draft him when you have Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines? Uh, I was happy about the draft pick immediately, um, but not because I thought Marlon Mack was going to get injured. Uh, so the big thing is Marlon Mack is the experienced guy. Marlon Mack uh, proved he can catch passes now. He's the best pass blocker out of all of our running backs. He, he knows the offensive line. He, he, he knows where to feel for the gaps and, and make some good runs. He looked great out there, and he had a great camp too, according to the team and to reporters who were got to watch every now and then. So it's disappointing to see that he's gone. It's definitely of all the position groups, we're going to be all right. It's going to be a little rough at first. Jonathan Taylor is going to have to get his feet uh, comfortable a lot sooner where we were expecting him to kind of ease into the year, but he's, he's just going to have to go. He's going to be the guy from here on out. Cause Naheem Hines is more of a, a situation based running back anyway. So sure. It'll be cool to see Jonathan Taylor play a lot, but Marlon Max, a pretty big loss and people that are going to overlook it because we have Jonathan Taylor are, are maybe underestimating just how important he was going to be to this rushing attack. Yeah, I, I think that'll be interesting. And I thought an interesting like, thing that came out from that game, and I guess coinciding with the Chargers-Bengals game, is now people are claiming the curse is more tied to to Phillip Rivers instead of the Chargers themselves. So I guess we'll have to see if that's true throughout the season. Well, he had to come back with the other curses, which is the Colts haven't won a week one game in seven years. And they haven't beaten Jacksonville and Jacksonville in six years. We talked about it oh, I wow. believe, on Sunday. Yeah. So it's been a long time and you combine those two together. So I don't know if that's Phillip Rivers bad luck or if that is uh, Colts bad luck combined into two from two different scenarios. All I know is that luckily I have a great cool head. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to not, I'm not going to lie. I was really livid yesterday, but it was week one. There's a lot of football left. The Colts always lose game one. 
And we always lose to Jacksonville at Jacksonville for no good reason. We never punted the ball yesterday. And we had over 430 yards. So there's a lot good you could take from that game, despite the fact that there was also a lot of negative and you lost. It's week one. It's, 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 pro- it's the opening project for the Phillip Rivers uh, era in Indianapolis. And there's a lot of season left, and they could still turn the ship around and still be a fine team this season. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of time. And I know we've talked about before their, their beginning schedule. Is it the most difficult thing yeah. uh, in the world? I know they get the Vikings next week, which is a tougher matchup. But after that, I think uh, plenty of winnable games. Right. But I guess we started out with a, a tough loss for you. But a, a good win for you is you've been high on the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. And I know we both picked the 49ers to win yesterday. But I was thinking, I was like, Mark, Mark kind of, you know, he started out pretty hot with, you know, you were excited about this Cardinals team. And I know it was during the Bucs Saints game, which is when you're paying close attention to, but do you have any have any thoughts about the the Cardinals pulling off that quote unquote upset against the 49ers? Well, uh, two things. First off, man, DeAndre Hopkins came in and they you let him know that he's <laughs> wide receiver number one over there. 14 receptions, a career high for 151 yards. Wow, they got him involved immediately. And, you know, that why not? He he gets the job done. He played well and you got to love it. And then on the other end, and this is probably the, the end that's even better and the, the bigger good news from this game is the fact that going in, I said that the 49ers were kind of a bad matchup for the Cardinals because I was worried about the Cardinals rushing defense. And the 49ers were very good at running the ball last year. Raheem Mostert was incredibly involved today and did some damage to that Cardinals defense, but it was not enough to beat the Cardinals. Even though it was in Santa Clara, you only score 20 points on this Cardinals defense. That is really good news for this Cardinals team. And I think that, again, I don't want to make any bold statements after week one because I think a lot of the things we're going to quote-unquote learn in week one are mm-hmm. going to be unlearned as the season goes on. But, man, I mean, this Cardinals team could compete for a playoff spot. I mean, I had them doing that already before watching this game. But I, all aboard the Cardinals hype train. Uh, I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how they pan out this year. Yeah, I thought that the reason I wasn't as high in the Cardinals just because they're in such a difficult division. It would be a difficult thing to pull off, but to see them go out there and handle business and feel like handle it pretty well Mm -hmm. overall. And Murray played well. I mean, we're expecting a good season on him. And then the Hopkins trade obviously uh, showed up yesterday, but on, on the 49er side, Jimmy G is a little worrisome. He's always been worrisome. And I think Kyle Shanahan kind of hides Jimmy G's faults a lot just because he's a phenomenal play caller and can scheme up a offense that's good enough for the 49ers to win games. But I honestly think yesterday, a lot of it's on him. If he could have made some passes on time, I think they could have came away with a, with a win and would be 1-0 instead of 0-1 after week one. Yeah, I mean, okay, well – I will play one bit of devil's advocate for Jimmy Garoppolo. I almost said Jimmy Gaudio, a U92 staffer. <laughs> uh, when you look at who caught passes for San Francisco yesterday, 
only two of them were wide receivers. Kendrick Bourne had two receptions, and then Trent Taylor had two receptions. So that's 19 completed passes on the day. Only four of them were to wide receivers. Granted, George Kittle is also in that receiving core as a tight end and had four. But they were strapped for help yesterday. No Debo Samuel, no uh, draft pick Brandon Ayuk, uh, no Tavon Austin, West Virginia legend. Uh, but regardless, that's that. he didn't exactly have a great repertoire to choose from. But even with that in mind, you got to be concerned about how Jimmy Garoppolo played yesterday. 19 of 33, uh, has a quarterback rating of 35. Uh, he took three sacks against that Cardinals O-line. That's those are some concerning things. I think the 49ers will be able to turn it around and, and still be a good team this year. But you got to think that this is a game you're supposed to win. You're, you're the reigning NFC champions. Yeah, it's, it's a game they're expected to win. And I think uh, most people expect them to win this game. And it's just, it's, it's shocking. I think they, you know, probably bounce back, but it looks like there is definitely set up for some regression and it's, I just didn't expect them to lose this game. I expect them to come out hot and uh, have a chance to win their division this year. Yeah. But uh, another QB that didn't look phenomenal or didn't look not necessarily, necessarily like himself, but had, had a couple mishaps and his, his coach, Bruce Arians, called him out, actually. Which yeah, was, it was weird. So it was a little shocking. Uh but you paid a close attention to this game, and I, you know, I thought it was probably the best game yesterday going into the day to watch. But do you, do you think this is just week one struggles with a new team, Mark? I think it's mainly that. Tom Brady, yeah, obviously this is the guy we're talking about here, new Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady. There are times in that game I thought he looked really sharp. Some of his passes were really on the money. They're really fast. There are other times that you could tell that as Tom Brady does, he gets frazzled when he's under pressure and the saints have a pretty good pressure to bring. And then those two interceptions, I mean, very weird, very uncharacteristic of Tom Brady. The first one, you can sort of explain that it was a miscommunication between him and Mike Evans because Mike Evans didn't go on a go route and said he stopped on the play action and Brady threw it as if, Evans was going to cut inside but even with that in mind it wasn't going to be a good look for Brady anyway it was double covered Brady's throw was really high even if Mike Evans was there granted Mike Evans might have been able to come down with it given his talents mm -hmm. but that was going to be a bad ball from Brady on a double cover read so that was a little weird even when you when you look at the miscommunication aspect of it and then the second one was just that was rough that's yeah. Not something you see from Tom Brady. He got jackrabbited. I mean, Janoris Jenkins, that's how he gets interceptions. Uh, uh, this summer, I did, an ep I did an episode of a podcast with my brother where we talked about underrated players, and I had Janoris Jenkins on it. And Janoris Jenkins' biggest thing is that when he picks the ball off, he's going to the house. I, I believe it was like seven of his nine interceptions coming into the season have all been returned for touchdowns. The dude thrives on jumping on flat routes. And – that's what he did again here, and it's a mistake that you never see from Tom Brady. That was mm -hmm. very strange. So I'd be more concerned about that one. But in general, I thought Tom looked sharp. I thought that he looked pretty comfortable in the pocket. 
I think his arm is still all right. Uh, Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller. Apparently, I didn't hear about this until uh, watching the game. Apparently, Scotty Miller has built up quite the rapport with Tom Brady. So that's a third guy on that receiving core that should perform this year, which is good for the Buccaneers. I don't think anyone should be too worried about Tom Brady. He'll be fine. I think that they're going to be a good team this year. Their offense is going to click well. Again, you're going up against one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFL and the Saints at New Orleans. And it's week one, your first ever game with a brand new team. Tom Brady's been playing with the same franchise for 18 years, 18 or so years. And this is new territory for him. He hasn't had to think about this for a really long time. So... I think it's a little overblown. I think it's a little strange that Bruce Arians called out Tom Brady like that. That's a little odd. Uh, someone else uh, compared the fact that Bill Belichick never calls a player out. Mm-hmm. Ever. No matter At least like in, in public. In public. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Bill Belichick rakes people over the coals in the locker room. But <laughs> in public, in a press conference, Bill Belichick, his his lips are sealed when it comes to player names and saying who did wrong and Who's at fault? And Bruce Arians came out and said it. I'll, I'll be curious to see how Tom Brady handles that because that's new territory. Yeah, and I and I don't like blame Tom Brady by any means for this loss. The Buccaneers had plenty of other mistakes that oh, yeah. Brady wasn't in control of. I mean, on the defensive side, there is way too many. They're jumping off sides, encroachment. Too many times on a, a fourth and two, I think. Is it Vita Vea jumped off mm-hmm. encroachment? Yeah. And, and later in, there's a like a third down and um, I forget who it was, but another person did it again and gave him, or it was another penalty, basically like way too many penalties on the defensive side. And then special teams, you know, they had that mishap and I don't blame Brady whatsoever. It was a, it was a week one game. And that's why I kind of on the, on our show Sunday, I kind of called it like, this is a game that the saints need to win is because they've been a unit for so long and they're together, and Tampa Bay made mistakes, and New Orleans jumped on those mistakes and and won the game. Yeah, and that was the big thing for me, and when I was taking my notes down for this game, I was barely writing anything down about this New Orleans Saints team, and that's two reasons for it. I didn't think the Saints played their best game. I I thought this was a pretty rough game for Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a rough game for Alvin Kamara, despite he had points where he, he turned up and made plays. Uh, I thought the defense was all right at times. There are other times they were a little bit, they were a little shaky, let Tom Brady uh, get some rhythm. But the fact of the matter was, is that the Saints still play team football. They still play cohesive football. And even when it's not pretty, they can drop 34 points on you. The Saints didn't, didn't have that much success on offense. They only had 270 offensive yards. You got to think about the fact that one of the touchdowns was Janoris Jenkins. And then this, and another touchdown you could attribute to the fact that the Saints had it at like the 20 yard line because of that fumble. The Saints didn't make too many mistakes. They didn't look good, but they didn't make many mistakes, which is what the Buccaneers did. And some of those are Tom Brady's fault. Some of that's that, that poor fumble on the, uh, the uh, kickoff. And sometimes it was those penalties, those costly penalties that moved the ball forward without the Saints actually making it happen on their own. I imagine the Buccaneers will clean some of that stuff out. Bruce Arians will whip, whip the guys into shape. But as far as the Saints were concerned, there's only one guy I thought played well yesterday for the New Orleans Saints, like anyone that really stood out to me. I mean, the defense in general was decent. 
But on offense, Deontay Harris, I thought was, was great. I thought that he did a lot. He looked really good on the ball. He was electric. He was shifty. He, he, he had separation. He made some good plays when the ball was in his hand in the open field. That was my big takeaway from the Saints is that just keep getting Deontay Harris active. Uh, and if I want to continue with, my, with some of the other notes I've got here, uh, I mentioned Scotty, uh, Scotty Miller earlier. I think that's another big aspect of this game for the Buccaneers. That's good is that they were talking up about him and how he was, he's got chemistry with Brady. I think that's huge. Because on Sunday, I talked about my worry about this receiving core behind Edwards and Godwin, mm-hmm. or Evans and Godwin. And having a third guy like Scotty Miller, that helps a lot. On top of that, Tampa Bay's front seven's good. They had some mistakes, but that's a good front seven. A good I, linebacking talked, core, for sure. Great linebacking core. They applied a lot of pressure on a Drew Brees, given the fact that the offensive line is pretty good in New Orleans. Um, I thought that they, they had 11 tackles for loss in the game. They only had one sack, but that's partially because Drew Brees, is, he just has the capability to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, I think Tampa Bay, they are going to give a lot of team fits this year. If you're not an experienced team, if you're not a team with poise, which the Saints are all of that and more, then they're going to do some damage. So I would not be surprised if we see some Tampa Bay Buccaneers blowouts, if we see some games where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have entire control over the game. It's going to be in those games where they go against teams that are a little more confident in themselves as a whole that the Bucs will have more problems. And we'll see a couple of those teams this season that the Buccaneers will be up against. Yeah, I could definitely see one of those stats midway through the season as we're closing on those three, four crucial games and, November, December, and being like, hey, the the Buccaneers don't beat teams above 500, but they crush yeah. the bad teams. So yeah. I, I, I could definitely see it being one of those teams that destroys bad teams, but doesn't seem to win against good teams. Yeah, we'll have to see. But we'll, they have the Panthers next week, and I, I assume at the moment they'll win, even though the Panthers caused some a little bit of ruckus yesterday against the Raiders. And I – I didn't watch really any of it, but I was anytime I saw highlights or just looking at it, I was kind of shocked how close this game with was with the Raiders. I expected the Raiders to be able to handle business. I think, you know, they really need to make a jump this year. It's uh, Gruden's third year, correct? Uh, Something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Third year. And then I just, I thought this was too close of a game for the, for the Raiders from, from my perspective, I know Josh Jacobs had a good game. I mean, three touchdowns, uh, 25 carries. That's a great game. And then, but I mean, I don't think you should be in a close game versus a team that's in full rebuilding mode. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from this game for me was that I think we underestimated, excuse me, Teddy Bridgewater a little bit. I think that we've, all talked about him as being sort of just a stopgap for Carolina, that he's not going to win games. Like this is just a cop-out move to get the Panthers to tank before they get someone like Mm -hmm. Trey Lance or someone along those lines. And I think that Teddy Bridgewater is a very good quarterback and he once again proves it. He was great with the Vikings before his injury. And after he came back from that terrible ACL injury that had him out of football for, for a little while, I think everyone kind of just overlooked him because, oh, excuse me, I have a 
had something blast into my browser there for a moment. Uh, but I think that we overlooked the way that he could win games for teams. Sure, they didn't win up the Panthers uh, yesterday, but he got pretty darn close. And then on top of that, maybe Robbie Anderson is better than we thought he was. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was stuck with the Jets organization, and that was just not a good place to be. And now that he's here with the Panthers, that he can actually finally expand himself as a receiver. And then last but not least out of that game, I thought the Raiders for the most part held Christian McCaffrey into place. It wasn't until later in the game that he really got himself going and he's going to have good numbers. Like he's going to get good yardage just because they rely on him so much. But McCaffrey was not a game wrecker yesterday, but so I guess good on the Raiders on that regard but they definitely need to do some uh, soul-searching on defense. But again, this game really strikes me as one of those week one anomalies that back at the end of the year, we're going to be confused that it was the way it was. But even despite that, Teddy Bridgewater is demanding respect right now. Yeah, I, I agree that Teddy Bridgewater had a, had a pretty good game for himself and helped the Panthers stay in that game and give them a chance to win. But another really weird game, the Panthers' former coach, Ron Rivera. Is this an anomaly, Mark, do you think? Or do you think we should be on red alert of the Eagles this year and be completely out on them? Or do you believe that, hey, this is just a week one mishap. The, they're not healthy, but that, you know, that'll, they'll stay around for a while. Well, I think that depends solely on if this offensive line can recuperate after this game. Because... I talked, we talked about this uh, beforehand. The Washington football team have a great defensive line. They've got mm-hmm. a lot of first round talent and they showed it. They relied on it all game yesterday. Eight sacks. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. And the Eagles going into the game, we knew that they lost two of their great starters on the O line. How were they going to handle it? And they did not handle it well at all. Carson Wentz was good in the first half, and then the second half, it really started crumbling down on him, and his decision-making took a nosedive. They're going to have to figure out that O-line. If not, this team is in is in dire straits because Dwayne Haskins was not that great yesterday. He got the job done. I could, I'll say I'm proud of how he did. Apparently, Ron Rivera at halftime went to go get an IV, and Dwayne Haskins was the guy who led the mm-hmm. locker room with a speech at halftime. That's awesome. This guy is in his second year. He hasn't played a full season. He was on the bench last year and was haphazardly put in begrudgingly by Jay Gruden to play last season. And this I would say has, yeah. a lot of people are out on him this year. We're already yeah. like over him and saying he's not a, not a good talent. Yeah, and he came in and he, he showed leadership. And that's the big thing about what I, I saw from him yesterday. Surely he didn't perform like an amazing quarterback. He didn't put mm-hmm. up any great stats. He didn't make any great throws. He made some mistakes. But every time I saw him on the bench, he was active. He was talking to his guys, offense and defense. And that's something to be happy about if you're the Washington football team. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I think this was, in hindsight, a great matchup for them that I don't think a lot of other teams are going to pose. I think this reflects more on the Eagles than anything. And they've got Aaron Donald and the Rams next week, so they better – They better get their stuff together because it could end up being a long season if that O-line continues to be as porous as it was yesterday. Yeah, I'm a little bit scared for the Eagles this year for sure after 
I mean, he gave up a 17-0 lead against the Washington football team. I mean, I don't – I thought looking at the score, I was like, this is what I expect. They should be ahead. They should continue this lead and come away with an easy first week. And then they gave it up. And that's definitely not anything I expected yesterday. But a, another game, another lead changing, another big comeback was the Bears-Lions. And we, we found out that the Lions still love to lose. They still love to break Lions oh, fans' hearts. Oh, my goodness. And they, they found a way to do it against Mitchell Trubisky. Wow, a new uh, – you know, I'm going to say this now. Lions fans are my favorite online. They are the funniest group of people because this is just the normal for them. <laughs> this happens every single year. You being a Packers fan have seen it happen over mm -hmm. and over again in favor of your team. It, and they have become so, uh, what's the word, pessimistic and so just, they just kind of embrace the fact that every single week that they just going to have to take one straight to the chest. And this week was, week one was no different. In a way, maybe 2020 is healing. Because the <laughs> Lions have lost somehow yet again. They got outscored 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Mitchell Trubisky led that. That's so crazy to me. I, at this point in the game, going into the fourth, I thought, man, the Lions are answering the questions that we were asking of them. You know, obviously, the Bears' offense isn't that good, so their defense could still end up being bad. But they look like they're controlling this game like they should be, and they're, they're playing well and good on the Lions. Maybe they can compete. And then... Oh, no. Things went downhill very fast. And before you knew it, the, the Bears were in the lead, and we were watching Matthew Stafford once again leading a two-minute drill. I don't know. I just – my faith in the Lions uh, has certainly depleted a lot because this was a team you were supposed to beat, and you entirely beat yourselves today. And DeAndre Swift – what on earth? You've got to catch that ball. I could have caught that one. It, it, that, I don't know. I, you I watch that game and it's, <laughs> you just, you just, I just feel for Lions fans. I don't know what else to say. That is just so harsh and so unrelentingly cruel year in and year out for this to happen over and over and over again. I think the, the worst thing about the Swift is that he is, one of his biggest pros was his pass catching ability. Oh, yeah. And I, it's got to, it's got to hurt for him. I, I feel bad for him. Obviously the loss isn't his fault. I mean, it's going to, it's going to feel on him, wrong. but there's a lot that, like you said, a lot that went wrong before that play. He shouldn't have had to make that play. Basically. Right. Right. He should have made it, but he shouldn't have had to make the play. Right. Is, is my takeaway from that. But I mean, this is a game that the Lions, like you said, needed to win, should have won, and they ended up doing a classic Lions thing. Classic Lions. But we're, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with more football action from the weekend. Have you ever wondered why everyone and their mother seems like they have a podcast today? Well, it's probably because there's over a million podcasts a day alone, and it continues to grow every single day. And you've probably wondered, how do I start a podcast? And you've probably thought, it's too expensive, I don't have the equipment, it'll be too difficult. 
I just can't do it. Well, let me tell you, you're wrong. There's a platform called Anchor and it's the simplest way to make a podcast. And I did some light background research for you. First off, it's free. There's creations tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. All right, we are back with First and Moose. I'm Connor Taylor. With me is Mark Schoenster, as always. We're going to stay in the NFC North. We're going to stay with the Packers-Vikings game. And this was a game that I watched very closely. And it looked like a vintage Rodgers game. It looked classic. He was was moving around the pocket very well. Uh, He... I don't want to say quiet it, the naysayers of this this season. I think a lot of people, you know, expect him to come out strong and try to try to prove people wrong, which I think he did to some extent. But it's a it's a weak secondary a, a secondary that didn't have a pass rush to help it out very much. So it is a game that Rodgers should have played well in, and and he did, which is basically all. We, we can ask for him, but my, one of my biggest takeaways uh, on the defensive side for the Packers was Jair Alexander. He was the one that turned around the game with the safety and interception. He's the one that basically made it out of reach for the Vikings because I know it was relatively close in score at the end, but it wasn't, it was, it was a two touchdown game. It felt like that the entire game. It felt Kirk Cousins in this game kind of reminded me of Matthew Stafford. He was just doing garbage time plays and he was trying to lead a comeback that could, that can never, never really form fully. And I'm impressed with the Packers, but I'm not sure if it's something that makes me feel super confident about them because for a while in the beginning, I was like, they look pretty similar to last year's team. And I think we saw glimpses of improvement, but I, I still got to wait and see. I know we've got the Saints coming up, I believe, in two weeks. And I think that's going to be more of a, a check. We've got Lion, the Packers at the Lions next week, and that's another check for them. But on the Viking side, I mean, Dalvin Cook, he's got to be found somewhere on the field. He didn't have a great game, I know. He, he produced points fantasy-wise because he had two two-point conversions. I, I believe two touchdowns as well. But the Packers were able to stop him. And that's a shocking thing is I think the run defense is one of the weaker parts, especially Kenny Clark ended up going out, which I haven't seen an update on him. And then the defense just didn't look good. I know Yannick and Guacque hasn't been around there much. Then Hunter's out. And then three new cornerbacks – so that's a question for me. But then on offense, their only other guys seem like to be Thielen. And I don't think the Vikings can do it just with Thielen. I mean, Mark, do you think – I mean, I think Thielen could be a number one guy. But yesterday watching this game, I thought they missed Diggs. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always been a digs over Thielen guy. I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Adam Thielen, but I think people are going to overlook just how important Diggs was to Adam Thielen. Mm-hmm. And although Thielen will make plays, he'll still play well, I think. Uh, having another guy there like Stefan Diggs is huge to this offense because they kind of just – what they did was they had their Dalvin Cook, they ran the ball a lot, and then they just had – they're, they're two dragons on the opposite sides of the field that you had to address, which meant that Dalvin Cook thrived off of that because then there wasn't as many people loaded into the box. Mm-hmm. And then when you got into the passing game, you, if you doubled one, the other would kill you. And now you don't have that anymore. Now you just have to worry about covering Thielen and you could still load up the box for the most part and really slow down this Vikings offense. That's definitely concerning for Minnesota going forward I, I I only caught glimpses of the game but I thought Justin Jefferson made a play or two that looked all right but he's he's gonna have to grow he's not he is not going to be Stefan Diggs not this year probably not next year if if ever of course if he even is going to get to that level it's going to take a year or two before he's at that level and really uh, for me you started off with this Aaron Rodgers was slinging it out there. Yeah. He had two glorious touchdown passes. The, the one on the run and the one to the, the back right corner or to the, to the corner right in front of the end zone. I, don't, I think it was Volta Scantling that caught that one. Oh, my word. I watched both of those live, and I gasped because I thought, oh, this is classic Aaron Rodgers. That was just ridiculous. An absurd throw. And – if he could keep that up this year, because I don't know how many times he did stuff like that last year outside of that one where he threw it into the corner of the end zone. Mm-hmm. I don't know how often he did it last year, but doing it twice against this this Vikings team that had secondary concerns definitely worries the Vikings. But also that you got to feel good as a Packers fan that Rodgers has come out. And I mean, him and Russell Wilson had the best days yesterday. And that's something to be excited about. Yeah, I thought he was arguably the best QB yesterday, the plays he was making. And then another thing, I have this weird love towards the jet sweep. I don't know sure how many times the Packers ran it, but they ran it a couple of times and it, and it came off pretty successful. Now, I'm not even sure if the jet sweep is even that valuable of a play, but it's like to me, one of the, one of my favorite plays just uh, to watch. Mm-hmm. And then if we talk about video games, I love to run it in Madden, but that they ran that a lot. And I thought, an interesting thing is a uh, question going into the season is who's the, the next person behind Devontae Adams because Devontae Adams, I mean, 17 targets, 14 receptions is a, a monster game. He's not going to do that every week. But Lazard, Alan Lazard played well. And then Marquez Vada Scantling played really well. I know MVS had a couple drops that he could have made, but the way Rodgers talked about him, after the game to me showed that there's a chance that he might be the guy. And I think if he can be that deep threat and then Lazard can do a little bit and then we rely on our running backs, which they used Aaron Jones a good amount, but they also used Jamal Williams and Urban more than I expected, to be honest with you. And I think we're looking at a more well-rounded offense, at least from yesterday's week one. I know we can overreact to it than I expected which is a good sign. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think good good on the Packers throughout that game. I mean, one of the big numbers that speaks out to me is 41 minutes of possession. That's also insane. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
another QB that I found fun to watch yesterday was Cam Newton. And I think he's always fun to watch. He could be annoying to watch if you're playing against him. And I, I despised him the year of his Super Bowl run. But I've, I've weirdly grown more fond of him as, as time has moved away from that. But you talked about this being an interesting game going into yesterday. Do you mm-hmm. have any big thoughts away from the Dolphins-Patriots matchup? Well, it didn't take long to see that Belichick is perfectly fine with adjusting how everything looks with Cam Newton under center. That offense was entirely different. Obviously, you expect it to be that way, but it looked seamless. They were comfortable. They looked – Cam Newton looked great out there. He did what he needed to do. Obviously, he didn't throw for too many yards, but he did what he needed to do, and they got the win. They uh, made the Dolphins never look like they were in it. Fitzpatrick had his bad Fitzpatrick game, which is the reverse order of what usually happens. Maybe, maybe next week we'll have a great Fitzpatrick game, but I, I don't know. My big worry for this Patriots team is can that offense take a notch up? Because against the Dolphins, it worked because the defense was able to keep the Dolphins team under rock and really not let them get going in really any way, shape, or form. They stopped that running game, which is going to be a uh, – how do I put it? It's, it's going to be a project all year that they're going to struggle to work through to, to figure out. But – they figured out how to slow down the run game, and then Fitzpatrick couldn't get the job done in the air. But next week, you got the Seahawks, and the Seahawks played really well yesterday in the air. Russell Wilson was playing out of his mind. Will Cam Newton be able to keep up when the other team is scoring points after points? Not every game are you going to only have to go up against an opponent who scores 11 total in the game. That'll be my, that'll be my thing to watch for next week. But when they're comfortable, the Patriots, they, even though it's different in scheme, the Patriots look like the Patriots, if you know what I mean. Yes. And I, it was a game that we both picked them to win, and they definitely should have won the game. But I think they, they handled business well. And obviously that, that came with the, the Bill Brady comparison immediately yesterday being like Belichick won Brady didn't but they obviously played two very different opponents and and skill level so I don't think that's something people can compare them to but but people will Mm -hmm. and then I know you mentioned this QB earlier Russell Wilson a little bit and his great play overall and having a a, a a great day and the, the on the other side though I the Falcons they use Todd Gurley a good amount and I don't know if it's a bounce back year for Todd Gurley but I think I'm actually after yesterday I'm expecting a decent year from Todd Gurley I think he's going to be heavily involved in their offense and he's going to be relied upon for the Seahawks to hopefully make a a run at the playoffs in a difficult division. But other than that, Matt Ryan threw 54 pass attempts. That's very 450 yards, two touchdowns, interception, very Matt Ryan-esque. And then Russ Wilson had a very Russell Wilson-esque game. But what were your thoughts about this game, Mark? 
Well, first off, Matt Ryan had nine different guys catch nine passes – or not, sorry, had three different guys catch nine passes for over 100 yards. Obviously, your obvious Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, mm-hmm. but also Russell Gage joins in that group. Uh, so, 54 passes, though, that's obviously – that's not a game plan you want to go by. And that's – I would say that's on the fault of the defense. I think that we had our concerns about the Falcons' defense coming into this game. And they were realized here today and not here today, here yesterday. And that's going to force Matt Ryan to throw the ball a lot. And you saw Todd Gurley get involved. He only ended up getting 14 carries on the day. But again, when you get behind, when you, mm-hmm. when you let the other team score a bunch of points on you, then you're, you're going to have to go to the air. And Matt Ryan can do that. But that's not a winning formula. We've seen that with the Falcons the past two years, relying on Matt Ryan to throw you out of every single game isn't going to win you football games. And I'm disappointed in the Seahawks for how they performed because I, I talk very highly of them. But that's the reality of where they're at right now. And Did I say Seahawks or Falcons there? I think you said Seahawks. I meant Falcons. I, I, I realized that as I finished <laughs> my sentence. I'm disappointed in the Falcons. The Seahawks, on the other hand, they look – I mean, Russell Wilson looked – great on offense he he hasn't missed a beat and jamal adams had 12 tackles including eight solo tackles so he's been integrated nicely and definitely helped mess up that falcons offense in ways that forced them to just air it out and it's gonna be fun to watch them play the patriots next week yeah i i am super excited about this game and i loved the the Seahawks attack yesterday, just, well, fantasy-wise, I fell in love with it. I have Chris Carson and DK Metcalf, so they kind of mm-hmm. went off for me yesterday. But my whole fantasy team, I could brag a little bit about because basically everyone had touchdowns, and like I'm at like 130 right now, so I don't think I it's going to happen again. I went up against Devontae Adams, so I had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, I had Adams as well. I mean – Literally, like, everyone – I think everyone on my team has had a touchdown, which I have Ebron tonight. But we'll see yeah. if that trend continues. But bringing it back to more real football talk, the Ravens looked like the Ravens, and the Browns yeah. looked like the Browns. Yeah, I, I got to say that this was a horrendous performance by the Browns. It was not good, not good at all. Uh, someone showed me a, a funny a tweet when the Ravens signed Marcus Peters to an extension. Jarvis Landry commented on it and said, oh, boy, this is perfect. And then Odell Beckham commented on Jarvis Landry's comment, and it was something along the lines of, like, can't, ready to, or can't wait to eat. And both of them had a terrible game yesterday. So that was a, a terrible freezing cold take by the the Browns wide receiving core. But on Sunday, we talked a little bit on Thurston Moose Live uh, from 11 to 1 p.m., right before kickoff every Sunday. I said that the Browns needed to show swagger in this game. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you could tell, but 38 to 6 doesn't scream swagger to me. Mm-mm. That's a bad look for Cleveland. You knew you were going to lose this game if you're a Cleveland Brown fan, if you're an NFL observer. You knew that this was a game the Browns are going to lose, but the fact of the matter was, were they going to compete? Were they going to make it interesting? And the answer was a big, fat no. And that's a concern for a Browns team that's trying to be playoff competitive. 
if you look this bad against a good team, I don't think you're a playoff team. Of course, again, and I'll continue to preface this through some of these takes that I'm spitting out here. It's week one of a COVID-19 season. The Browns could turn it around very quickly. It was the first game for Kevin Stefanski uh, under the headset. So things could change, but the way they look now is not good. No, not, not good at all. And I think on red zone, it was like one drive, one interception by Mayfield. I was like, Oh, this is not, does not look like a good day heading in for them. But the, the thing I noticed the Ravens were up 31 to six at this, at this time of this play that I watched with, uh, Lamar Jackson, and he's running around and going for a touchdown. And any normal QB would just run out of bounds because he's about five, ten yards out. And he decides to try to plow through, like, two defenders. He gets tackled. But I was like, if this Ravens team has this mentality up, 31-6 all season, they're, they're scary to me. I know they're, mm-hmm. we're talking about them being scary, but if they have this mentality where they're not going to let up on the gas pedal the entire game, it's, it's not going to be a fun year for other NFL opponents. Yeah, I'd be worried about injuries, though. Yeah. But Sunday night football, Cowboys-Rams. And I thought the Rams in the beginning, throughout the game a lot, made it look too easy. Yeah. Was, was one of my biggest takeaways, is some of their plays just kept on getting first downs after first downs, and I was – it looked like the old Rams. It looked like we were there. And then the Cowboys looked like the Cowboys of last year. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this game was much more a Rams football game than the score would indicate. Uh, I don't know, man. We were worried about the Cowboys defense coming into the season, especially their secondary. And they they did not look good. It was not good on their part. 153 rushing yards and 275 passing yards, and 153 rushing yards. Mind you, there's no longer Todd Gurley there. It's now a Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers-led offense. Or mm-hmm. Cam Akers-led offense, yes. And Malcolm Brown looked great. I yeah. thought he was great in between the tackles. He, was, he made cuts. He, made, he shed tackles. He, I thought that the Rams have a starter in Malcolm Brown. And then on top of that, I thought the Cowboys' defense looked abysmal. People were joking that the Rams are running the same plays over and over again, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it, and it was working. They missed a field goal, uh, so that was unfortunate on their part. Uh, Sloman, their kicker. And I felt that they puttered out as the game went on. But the Cowboys, you got to be disappointed. got to be disappointed with all the talent on that roster that all you could put up is 17 points. And people will complain about that pass interference call at the end of the game, whether that was or was not. The fact of the matter was is that y'all were the worst team in that game, regardless of if that call was made. And uh, as football goes, there are bad calls throughout the game. The Jared Goff interception should have been called back because he got like walloped in the face as yeah. he was throwing it. So you, 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 can't, you can't go, we lost just because of this call. And I know Cowboys fans are so annoying about this. And so I'm going to drive it home. You were the worst team yesterday. And you need answers to that. Yeah, they did not look like a playoff team to me yesterday. No, they, they did not. Average. They looked like another seven and nine, eight and eight season coming ahead of them. And and somehow heading into tonight, the Washington football team is leading their division at the moment. <laughs> Which I don't I don't think anyone called. Ah, uh, yes, just as we all expected. <laughs> but 
some other things is Robert Woods looks really good. Yeah, he did. I thought he looked the part. He he I've never been a huge Robert Woods fan, but I mean, 105 receiving yards popping off the top. I mean, mm-hmm. that speaks for itself. That's what we said he needed to do, and he proved it. That the Rams are going to beat teams that people football teams are going to go into a Rams game thinking, "Oh yeah, we can win this game." Obviously, no one's going to be like, "Oh, this is going to be a team we're going to walk through." But the Rams are going to beat teams that expect to beat them coming in because yeah. people are going to forget that although they've lost talent and, you know, they're all the jokes about how much they're paying players that are not on the team, Aaron Donald is absurd. And you've still got talented guys like Robert Woods. Jared Goff is still a good quarterback. And he's got pieces around him in Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, uh, and now Malcolm Brown. This team is still a decent team. They're still pretty good. And you can't, no one should overlook them. No, and I think like the Cowboys let them play the Rams game. If the Rams can play their game, they're going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I think one thing I, I noticed, and it was just maybe a reminder, was that McVay's the leader of this team. Uh, mm-hmm. I know they're paying uh, Goff like $33.5 million, but McVay is still that leader of the offense. He's still the guy that controls the tempo of the offense is it completely in charge uh golf is not someone that's i don't know ever at least if he's still with the mcveigh his rest of his career he's not going to be someone that's the leader of the offense per se mm-hmm. yeah. but other than that Alden smith i know they talked about him some but he was kind of out of nowhere for me that he was able to put up a somewhat a pretty good performance after being five years away from yeah football yeah props to him I mean Alden Smith back in the day was phenomenal for the 49ers he was a guy that kind of like your Nick Bosa Aaron Armstead are there now in San Francisco he looked very good and I mean props to him he he did his part on the Cowboys defense but he was one of few the front seven were all right they 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 were okay they let Malcolm Brown get some good runs though if I'm looking at the Cowboys, you've got to look at that secondary and you got to be concerned for the rest of the season. Cause if Jared Goff and Robert Woods, uh, Tyler Higby, those are the kind of guys that are fighting success on offense against you. Then what are you going to do when Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson come to town? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm thinking the Rams division. What are you going to do when, uh, I don't know, I guess the NFC East isn't that good. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, Carson Wentz looked bad yesterday, and Daniel Jones is not that great either. So maybe the Cowboys will be fine. But when they play against other teams outside of their division, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, it's it's living up to be a very divisional winner. That's seven and nine, eight and eight. Oh yeah, type of year. So who would have thought the NFC East? But I, I thought that the game wasn't super interesting, and I, and I think that set in once we kept on talking about how beautiful the stadium was over and over again. Oh, my gosh. Which it's a beautiful I, stadium. It's a beautiful but stadium, still. but we, it, was, it was a $5 billion promo over and over about it. But we've got two games left we haven't really covered was uh, the, the chargers Bengals. I think the, the biggest takeaway was that Joe Burrow looked like a – very well-rounded QB that ran a great two-minute drill at the end of the game. He looked like a leader, and it just ended up being a mishap of a kick at the end. It 
I guess he might have pulled something, possibly. Yeah, Randy Bullock. Yeah, but, I mean, you go ahead. That's all that matters, right? Mm-hmm. Because Joe Burrow is obviously going to come into this game. It's going to be rough. Literally, the drive before that two-minute drill, he pitched the ball to Melvin Ingram for an interception. It was ugly. It was bad. And then he turned around, and he looked so comfortable and so poised in that drive. I really wanted to see the Bengals win the game. I was so excited. I think they should have let A.J. Green have that touchdown. That was within five yards. You got to let the boys play, as, as they say. I thought that A.J. Green earned himself a touchdown there and that the Bengals earned themselves a win. But football's football, and the Chargers have been on the other end of this so many times that I can't feel but so bad. You got to feel happy if you're Cincinnati, though. Yeah. Because that's why that, – that's the kind of thing you want when you draft – the first overall pick is you want a guy who will win you games. And Joe Burrow showed that he can win games with that final drive, even though they didn't win this one. He did everything in his power. Really, the, the, the reasons that they lost that game at the end were not, were not Joe Burrow's fault. I, I completely agree. They, you're not expecting them to win a lot of games this year, but you saw a franchise QB out on mm-hmm. the field. And then the, the last game – we have up is the Bills Jets. And I don't think there's anything huge to think about this game. It was a very Bills Jets game. The Bills handled the business, their business yesterday. Josh Allen had good moments, had poor moments, and then the Jets looked like the Jets. Yeah, I mean Josh Allen threw the ball 46 times yesterday. So and he carried the ball 14 times. So Josh Allen had in total 60 plays that were he was responsible for, at least partially. So that's, that's a lot to put on him, and I think he played pretty well given that. Mm-hmm. But really, the big takeaway for me in this game is twofold. First off, uh, positive for the Jets. Jamison Crowder looked really, really good, and that's interesting because since Robbie Anderson is also doing well, I felt like he's kind of like a Robbie Anderson replacement, just less speed, more possession-based mm-hmm. uh, in Jamison Crowder, but it looked good. And then on the opposite end, Sam Darnold. Oof, that was rough. That was not a good showcase for Sam Darnold. He threw probably the worst interception of the day yesterday. It was horrible. He just lobbed it in the middle of the field when he was on the run. It was terrible. Uh, that was the kind of play that gets you benched. Uh, obviously, you're not going to do that with Sam Darnold, but that's the kind of play it was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this, this game was about what one would expect. John Brown looked really good. For the, on the receiving end for the Bills, which is what I was thinking was going to happen. So feel good about that prediction, but also great for John Brown. Happy for him. I've always liked John Brown. And overall, the Bills won the game in the way the Bills would win it, and the Jets, they looked about what one would expect. Yeah, I thought there wasn't any huge things to run away with. I, I agree that Jamison Crowder looked pretty good. He had that one breakaway touchdown i don't think he's someone that's going to get a bunch of long yardage receptions a bunch of short yardage so that's going to be a high recovery type of guy but that's going to do it for the week one of first and moose's podcast recapped a lot of games we've got a double header tonight that i'm looking forward to but we'll be here we're back baby yeah we're back we'll be here every week on the podcast coming out Monday, Tuesday-ish. And then also catch us live on U92themoose.com or 91.7 FM from 11 to kickoff on Sunday. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening.